HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. This week, it's the season finale of Meet and Three. We're following up our episode about youth with a look at age and how aging affects life on farms and in kitchens. At the the most basic level, we need people to grow food for a growing global population. The question of planning for retirement or old age as a cook, it's almost one that doesn't exist bizarrely until it's too late. We also have a story about a food that might be older than you think. A recent archaeological finding might have crossfitters everywhere reevaluating their diets. Plus, a story about one of Atlanta's most historic and risque landmarks. There are dancers that have been there 20 and 30 years. Don't miss our season finale of Meat and Three, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. You are listening to The Farm Report. And I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. We are coming back back at you. Uh, it's been a minute. I'm uh, sorry to be away, guys. Um, we are broadcasting from the back of Roberta's Pizza out here in Bushwick, Brooklyn, as always. Um, it has it has been a minute, and there has been lots going on, and I'm excited to share a little bit of updates on what's happening in my life. But the real reason I'm coming back into your headphones, out your speakers, or however you're listening, is to share some very exciting news. Um, we're bringing the farm report back. Uh, I know you've missed it uh, in your ears. Ah, oh, thanks, David. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, and today, uh, we're going to be hearing from the woman who's going to be take, taking the realm, um, taking the realm at the helm, uh, reins, reins, taking the reins. You can see my radio voice is a little rusty here. Um, but many of you may not know that I actually was, I think the third host of the farm report, um, back in the day, um, Jack Inslee, I believe, played a serious role. Heather Hyman, of course, who I originally co-hosted with. And I've always felt like this is a program 
that I have been stewarding on behalf of the network, and it is time to pass that baton. And so it's with great pleasure that I introduce Lisa Held. Lisa, welcome to the studio. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. More applause, more applause. Uh, so what we're going to be doing today is giving you a little bit of background on Lisa, where where she's coming from, who she is, where she's going to take you guys. Along the way, I'll share a couple of updates about what's happening with me. And then on a weekly basis, starting uh, with the new season launch in September, you're going to be hearing from Lisa. And, and so before we get into what's to come, uh, let's go back in time. All right. <laughs> um, so Lisa, how did you get interested in, in food and agriculture? Wow, that's a very long story, but I'm going to try to keep it as short as possible. Um, I mean, I think from the time that I was a kid, um, I, I come from this town that is um, just a really strong uh, farming town. Uh, I was, I've never been a farmer. I've never been a farm worker. I, I like to say that up front because I don't ever want to pretend that I can grow things. Um, I'm like, leave that to the professionals. Right, exactly. <laughs> I have a very strong respect for the people that do it because I don't do it. Um, but I grew up in this town called Warwick, New York, um, which is in the Hudson Valley, uh, about 50 miles northwest of the city. And um, it has this like really long history of agriculture. Um, so apple orchards, huge, um, really strong, small dairy farms for decades. Um, and it's home to the black dirt region, which is, um, this region in the Hudson Valley that is home to, um, some of the most fertile soil, um, in all of North America. (laughs) So it was like a glacial lake that Polish settlers drained in the 1800s to farm. And it has this like crazy sticky black soil, um, And so it's a huge center for commercial onion production. And then also, so there's like migrant workers that uh, cycle through um, every season. Um, And then there's also a lot of the big farms that people know in New York City that sell at places like the Union Square Farmers Market are from there, like Rogowski and Papinroth Gardens. Um, And so I grew up in this world where, you know, there was just agriculture around me and and also, my mom, when I was growing up, was someone who grew everything. Um, so we had this huge garden, and you know, I grew up literally sitting in the dirt, weeding and planting. And you know, when it was time for dinner, like sent out to the garden with a basket, like go pick what's ripe, and like eating, like picking toma- cherry tomatoes off, and just eating them while I was uh, <laughs> in the garden. So, so- I, I have to ask um, because. I, I also was sent out to do a lot of picking as a kid, and I, ha- I hated, you hated it. it. <laughs> I was like, it was my mom was always like, you know, she she's like, one day you're gonna appreciate this, and I was like, never. <laughs> and then of course, you know, fast forward twenty years, and I'm like, oh, she was the greatest. But I'm curious when we're when, as a kid, was that a task that you? kind of relished or were interested in or something you kind of did because your mom was in charge? Yeah, I, I loved the picking mm-hmm. part. So like they like, go get things, you know, for dinner and like, because it involved eating. Yeah. <laughs> I still love eating. Um, but the, the weeding, not so much. And I distinctly remember the job that I hated so much was taking the compost out. We uh. had this compost pile in the back and my mom would send us with like a bucket and I would like 
dump it out and run away because I was afraid there was like worms and bugs all, yeah. and things. Yeah, things that you're like, all the signs of a healthy compost were scary to me. Right, yeah. And now I'm like, oh, compost is so important and I love compost. So yeah, that kind of what you're talking about, you know, I look back and I'm like, I hated that, but, but yeah. it did come full circle. Pro- pros and cons. I get it. All right. right. Well, so how do you go from uh, being a young whippersnapper <laughs> gathering from mom's garden um, talk to us a little bit about kind of pre-college, Lisa. What did you think you were going to do as a teenager? Um, well, I kind of always thought I would be a writer, um, but I I went to college and um, majored in sociology because I really didn't know what I wanted to do, basically, and I knew I just, like, cared about the world. <laughs> um, so real practical. Admirable. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um so I, I majored in sociology, um, and by the way, I moved to a city, like, as soon as I was out of uh, high school, like, you went to ready. college in the city. So, you know, I'm like, I'm from this farming town, but really, I've lived most of my adult life, all of my adult life, in Boston and New York City, so okay. um, I don't want to claim to be <laughs> this farm farming uh, environment, um, but... Um, so I majored in sociology. I worked in nonprofits for a little bit when I got out of college. Um, and, and then I still had this bug about um, related to writing. And so I went back to school um, and got my master's in journalism. And, um, and that's when I started, you know, just working as a reporter and figuring out um, the kinds of topics I wanted to write about. And, um, and so I originally was covering health. Okay. So mostly nutrition and um, kind of like in this women's health world, so some fitness, but food and nutrition, but from a very specific lens of like, is this good for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think doing that work was when I started to get um, really interested in agriculture and food systems because I was I had a very specific task to answer questions for people about um, whether or not food was good for them or, you know, what they should eat. And a lot of times I would come up with more questions that I wanted to ask that were not the ones I was being tasked to write about. Right. They're like a lot of the stuff that you were interested maybe wasn't making it onto the page. Exactly. Well, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think one of the things I wonder about a lot and you hear, you know, we hear people refer to kind of the media as this kind of like monolith as though journalists are kind of all reporting to some like central authority who's (laughs) like media. Now today we will, um, you know, which isn't really the case. It's a tons of, um, different people out there, um, with different life experiences, working for different publications that have different agendas. You know, you obviously having a master's in journalism have this academic underpinning around like what it means to be a journalist and why that writing is different than writing like I might do as a blogger, just like a normal person, a normal (laughs) non-trained journalist. Um, But with respect to kind of digging into some of that health stuff, I'm wondering how do you, um, like how do you know when you have enough information to like, write a thing with certainty or, or like stand, you know, is it just sourcing? Like, well, how does that work? That's one of the hardest things I think to learn as a journalist. And honestly, I think, I think you never have enough information at the end of the day. Like you always have to, that's one of the things that people don't understand about journalism because you know, you'll write something and then someone will read it and be like, well, you didn't talk about this. 
And I'll be like, I know, I really wanted to talk about that. Maybe I missed it. Or maybe there just wasn't space. Or maybe that's not what this specific article was tasked with talking about. Um, But there's always more. And so you have to kind of try really hard to make sure you're answering whatever specific question you're setting out to, or tell the story, a very specific story, um, and make sure that you've showed all sides and, and answered questions about like where, you know, like, is there another side to this? And, but at the end, and it's like, so you you gather all these elements and you put it all together. And then at some point you just have to say, okay, like this is the, the most that I can possibly do in the time that I have. And, um, and you just got to let go of it. And, you know, maybe if you realize later that there was something that you left out, maybe you do a follow up or, um, but you're never really done. And actually I think it's really important to kind of feel that way because if you think, if I I feel like if I write a story and I'm like, Oh, I completely covered that. No, like it's done. Then I'm probably missing. Like I, I probably don't even realize. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Got yeah. it. Yeah. So I feel like that's the thing that was like always stresses me out when I think about like journalistic writing where I'm like, but how do I know? <laughs> you know, so it's like a little bit kind of like looking at how the sausage gets made, right? Yeah. You're, you're out there, you're tasked, you have a, a deadline, you have a mm-hmm. point of view that you're being hired to produce, you have your own kind of personal and professional kind of moral and ethical guidelines Absolutely. and you just do the best you can. Mm-hmm. So you're out, you're doing reporting in the wellness space, you're starting to kind of ask some more questions, realize that you're maybe more interested on the stuff that's like on the cutting room floor mm-hmm. than in the article. So um, kind of how do you deal with that? Um, so, well, I, I basically just uh, quit my job and <laughs> went freelance, <laughs> which is not maybe, the again, not the most responsible decision, but it worked out really well. Um, yeah. So I just, um, I mean, by that point, I had been writing uh, for a long time and had lots of contacts um, with different editors. And and so I just started contacting publications that I wanted to write for that I thought would, you know, be the places that would allow me to tell the kinds of stories that I thought um, were important. And so um, Civil Eats was one of the first places that when I went freelance, I reached out to and I pitched them some stories and that was the beginning of, um, a really great relationship. And, you know, I've been now a regular contributor for them for several years. Um, and that's, that was like the exact kind of stories I wanted to tell. So, um, getting that going was really cool. Um, and then a lot of the other places that I write for, it's kind of been about getting in the door with an angle that, is in line with what they care about, but then bringing in this other layer. So, for instance, I write um, features for Eater, uh, mm-hmm. you know, every once in a while. And, you know, they care about dining. Like, dining is the the core of what Eater does, right? Um, and so I have to, when I write for them, I have to find, it, I want the story to be about agriculture. I want it to be, if I want it to be about farm workers or food justice, I just have to find a way to connect that to um, something that people who really care about restaurants and will be interested in. Got it. Yeah. And I've really t- I've taken that tack with a lot of publications, and I think it's worked really well. And, and that's kind of cool, too, because one of the things I think is important is not just talking to people who already care about agriculture, about agriculture, right? That then we're just, like, talking to each other, and that's not really going to 
move the needle. But if you can talk to people who care about food in all different ways, um, about where it's coming from and how it's being produced, um, and get to them via things they already care about, that can be really powerful, I think. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I really really think about um, myself when I started first doing this show, which, gosh, it's been a while now. I think it was back in the fall of 2010. I was a graduate student Mm. um, and really interested in learning about agriculture. So I think for me, in a lot of ways, the Farm Report was a platform to explore some of my own interests and like learning around food and egg. I feel like I've always kind of made this assumption that like, if it's a thing I'm interested in doing that like other people <laughs> will be interested too. And I like, sometimes I take this to an extreme. So, um, you know, I, I host this kind of monthly women's, uh, networking group called the, called ladies night. And I spent a lot of time last summer up in the Hudson Valley doing hiking. Oh, cool. And so then the summer I was like, yeah, well, probably other people want to go hiking too. So instead of just getting like, you know, five of my friends together and going up to hike a trail, I'm like, let's make it an event. Let's invite a hundred <laughs> people. And like, um, I feel like that's really kind of the, like a reoccurring narrative arc in my life is like, how can we bring more folks into this? And I think that's one of the exciting things for me in um, turning the program over is to see kind of where where you go and how you're learning. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about kind of where you think you are at in your kind of egg education and um, where your curiosity is pulling you right now. Sure. Um, that's, that's a big question. Um, in terms of where I'm at, I mean, I think, you know, I've, I know a lot and I, I do a lot of I spend a lot of time interviewing people about food and agriculture and doing lots of research, but I mean, there's just so much. I, I, in a lot of ways, I know nothing. Right. And like you said, it's doing these interviews and, um, hosting the farm report is another way to just talk to people about what's really happening because there's just so many people to talk to and so much to learn. Um, but I do think, um, the fact that I have, um, all of this, time that I spend talking to people and interviewing people, that's kind of like the, um, the thing that I can bring to the table is that I have a lot of context. So when, you know, if I'm talking to someone about egg production, for instance, and they're talking about, well, I raise chickens this way on pasture, I can say, oh, well, you know, do you do it with this rotating system or do you, or is it this large? And and I've been to that farm that does it this way and I've been to a farm that does it that way. And so I can kind of put things into context for people. Um, I feel like I totally lost my train of thought on what your actual question was. Oh, well, no, I mean, I think you're, you're like, you're like, uh, what did they say as uh, the great writers? You're like, show, don't tell, right? Yeah. So I'm like, where are you at? You're like, ah, you know, I've I've got some chops, basically. Um, But I'm here to learn also. And I mean, I think it really falls under that rubric, right? Of like, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know. Right. Um, And so I'm interested, like, where are you, where are you excited to be taking some listeners uh, as we head into the fall? Do you, are there particular things that are kind of on your hot list right now? Or are you still kind of formulating that? Or or what's the kind of uh, look down the the radio dial, if you will. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think I'm definitely still in, you know, developing episodes and, and figuring out exactly who the guests will be and, and where I'll take this. But I think um, in terms of hot 
hot topics. Yeah, right. <laughs> that sounds really <laughs> not funny like the story in the mall. Oh, but <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about that story. Um, no, I think one thing that I've been really interested in in digging into more is um, farm worker uh, issues. So um, movements around. Um, wages and just um, better working conditions for farm workers, how um, pesticides and um, different agricultural practices affect workers in the fields. I think there's a lot happening there that um, doesn't get talked about. So, Yeah, well, I'd say, too, in, in particular, in the kind of national conversation we're having around immigration and employment and, you know, uh, tariffs and outsourcing, like all of those things really come back on some level to workers and worker issues. Um, right. And it can be hard. I don't know. I find like oftentimes in, in news cycles, you're, there are these whole groups of people that become this kind of unknowable monolith where you're like, oh yeah, the workers. And you say it as though that <laughs> that's like a group of people you can put into like one kind of bucket and then as you start kind of exploring I think some of these different issues and putting like a face and a personality and more information behind behind that term yeah. right it's mm-hmm. it's building understanding building empathy and um also recognizing like it's complicated mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and I yeah I think um I think I want to have Obviously, it's a farm report, and we want to have as many farmers as possible on the air talking about what they do, and that's so important. Um, and, but I do think sometimes farm workers that aren't the farmer, they get sort of ignored. Um, they don't have as much of a voice. Just Right. You're like, if, if like farmers don't really have a, a voice, per se, then farm workers. It's like, what is it that there's like that movie where they're like, you're an, oh, from Home Alone. She's like, you're an amoeba on a flea. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I can remember when I was uh, living up at Flying Pigs, and I think I maybe told this story on the, on the air before, but there was a bill before the New York State legislature around... Um, overtime payments and this was uh, probably back in 2009 and I remember going to the hearing and I was going with my employer who was a member of the Farm Bureau and so you walk in the hearing and the Farm Bureau people are on the right side and the farm workers are on the left side and it was kind of crazy because on the right side was a bunch of like traditional like not traditional I guess um what you might imagine as a stereotypical American farmer, older, white male, um, lots of ruddy cheeks, <laughs> some, some like some sizable bellies, but obviously a group of men who had worked hard their whole life. Um, on the left side was uh, filled with a lot of brown faces, women, uh, people much younger, all different shapes and sizes. And I had this really strange moment where I'm like, man, any other kind of hearing or event like this in my life I would be sitting on that side not this side Mm. and like then you sit down and you start to kind of articulate some of the issues and challenges of like what it really takes to produce food under our kind of current system and all of a sudden you're like man this is complicated stuff like um that was like a real kind of reckoning moment for me where I, w- I really felt like what I wanted to do is get up and sit like in the aisle and be like, I see you both. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that, that brings up just another really important 
topic that um, I definitely want to hit on a lot, which is just like diversity in farming. And, you know, there's there's so many things happening right now in terms of um, helping farmers access land and resources that, you know, for people who are not necessarily the traditional older white male farmer that we're talking about that, you know, you just mentioned. And by the way, a lot of those farmers are also in, you know, rural America are struggling, are doing amazing things too. But there's like lots of programs that are now working on um, land access for African-American farmers and Native Americans and, you know, women in farming. And like, I think there's just so much there that we can get into um, and talking about all the different ways that different people are working in this field. (laughs) Lots to come. Um, We are going to, as you know, take a short break to hear a quick word from our sponsor. This is Aaron Fairbanks. Um, On my very last Farm Report show as your host, I'm in the studio with Lisa Held, the new new woman at the helm of the Farm Report. (laughs) Hang tight. We're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Farm Report, and we are in studio with the new host of The Farm Report, Lisa Held. Uh, So we heard, Lisa, a little bit at the top of the show a bit about your kind of background in food and agriculture and kind of how your interests grew and some of your professional background. And um, I guess I want to hear also just for our listeners a little bit more... um, kind of painting the color of some of the other aspects of your life, like what else you're into um, and, and how that maybe informs your work. Wow. (laughs) Just got personal. (laughs) Um, I, I mean, I'm very much into food (laughs) and that, (laughs) that I think um, impacts my life in major ways. Um, I live in Brooklyn. Um, I, I've, I mean, I feel like I, my day to day is just like, I'm running around reporting stories. Um, yeah. Can you say a little bit more about what that looks like? Cause I feel like it's a thing that we hear people say like, and I'm like, but what does it, does it actually mean you're like getting on the subway, getting off, talking to people? Like, how does it, can you just like paint a picture of like what a kind of normal ish week might look like? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so I mean, there are some things I do that are kind of like every week in an office for a few hours. Um, that, you know, pay my bills. Um, (laughs) but, um, most of the stories that I do, it literally involve going, um, either going to see something in action. So say it's a story on, um, urban agriculture. I did a story recently on urban ag in New York city and, you know, I went to a few of the different farms. So I'm like 
getting on the subway, going there. Um, usually someone's showing me what they're doing and I'm interviewing them um, while we're walking around or on a tour or something like that. Um, and then I do a lot of phone interviews. So I'm in cafes all over the city um, doing phone interviews and um, and then research. You know, it's a lot of just being on a laptop, um, looking into things, figuring out who the, who the people are that I need to be talking to. Um, and then um, I do travel like here and there to, you know, for different stories. Um, but yeah, I mean, like when I say like running around, it's, it's actually <laughs> a lot of time, like, you know, it's just like literally like on the pavement, you're just like going. And, and sometimes it's, you know, like I'm doing this story on, um, fast casual restaurants and sourcing, uh, right now. And, you know, it's literally like, I'm like walking into these restaurants, like looking around. <laughs> You're like a secret shopper. Yeah, people are like, what is that woman doing? Right, right. You're like, I have a few questions about this ordering process. I'm just taking pictures of your chalkboard that lists farms. Um, Yeah, that's kind of the the basics. Um, So you do the reporting piece, but you've also done some like editing as well. Is that right? Yeah, I do. I also do. um, So I still have like kind of one foot in this world of um, nutrition and women's health. um, And I do a lot of editing. Um, I I work for this one website called Nutritious Life that is really squarely in the nutrition world. um, And that's mostly editing. So I have writers that... um, submit things to me and then I edit the stories and kind of run an edit calendar and um so that's kind of a whole other skill set um but it's nice to break up the the day and yeah and it's kind of like some different chunks Mm -hmm. and then there's just like this sitting down and writing part oh right I forgot (laughs) I forgot about that (laughs) I didn't mention that it's funny somebody asked me about my writing process the other day and and I was like what you know if you when you get to the writing Like, if you've done a good job reporting, that's actually hopefully the easier part because you're kind of just – now you just, like, have everything in front of you and you're pulling it together. Um, And it's funny, though, like, in thinking about hosting the farm report, I was thinking, like, I normally, like, do all these interviews and I have all this time to figure out what I want to ask and did I ask the right questions? And then I sit there and I formulate everything. And, you know, this – being on the radio is so different because like, oh yeah, I know how to interview, but nobody's ever listened to right, me right. <laughs> in an interview before. So that's the difference. Taking a little bit of a perspective shift. Well, yeah. folks can uh, check out your kind of body of work on your website, which is uh, com, and then find you on social. You're at Elaine, Lisa Elaine H. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, I was asking Lisa before the show, I'm like, oh, should I introduce you as Lisa Elaine Held? Um, you know, and, and I would love for you to tell us why you don't go by Lisa Held on your byline. Sure. So I, I realized a long time ago when I Googled myself that, um, there's an issue with having a last name that is also a verb. So held being the the past tense of the word hold. If you Google Lisa Held, you'll get headlines like Lisa held the number one spot in the (laughs) in the San Francisco marathon. And so, yeah, I basically decided throw my middle name in there so people can find me. (laughs) trials and tribulations (laughs) uh well we are going to turn the tables uh once again we've got about uh 10 minutes left here in the show and i want to give you guys a little bit of a taste of where i'm heading next and how you can keep up with me and so i'm going to hand over officially maybe david is there some type of official sound we can make i don't like an air horn maybe (laughs) 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 hear ye hear ye lisa (laughs) 
<laughs> Ye official Farm Report host. Yes. Uh, take it away, girl. <laughs> Great. Um, so, Erin, you were telling me before this about this incredible work you're doing right now. So I want to ask you about that. Um, can you tell everyone about um, this project that you're working on? Yeah. So um, it's called Women in Hospitality United. You can find us at womeninhospitalityunited.org or on Instagram at women in hospitality in, in hospitality <laughs> united. And essentially we are a group of women in the hospitality space who have been organizing since January kind of in post me too. Um, and really thinking about how do we affect change in the hospitality space? How do we start to work on deconstructing and then rebuilding, uh, the culture around, uh, how we, treat each other, um, mm. looking specifically at a lot of gender issues, but also thinking about it more broadly. How do we make this space more fun for everyone and more equitable? You know, I, I think a lot about some of the challenges facing hospitality right now, uh, worker shortages, uh, a lot of conversations around uh, wage issues and rights to a living wage and tip workers, uh, incredible coverage of uh, food waste. And um, on top of that, then this fall, this past fall of uh, 20, 2017, all of the allegations of kind of persistent, se you know, sexual assault, sexual harassment and abuse. And that kind of coming on a long history in the culinary space of environments that are quite physically demanding and abusive, not just to um, women, but men as well. And kind of feeling like, geez, we need a little bit of a timeout moment yeah. here, guys, because uh, this is like not sustainable. And I think we're starting to see, you know, as you have this kind of rise of chefs and chef culture, some of the kind of cracks in this facade and recognizing a little bit where um, this current system's not working for a lot of people. So right. uh, I've been gathering with a group of women on kind of a monthly basis, um, trying to think about, okay, well, where do we start? You know, people in food, as I'm sure you know, are workers. Folks want to, like, roll sleeves up, get going on the problem. I, I would say kind of as a community, we're maybe not the best at being like, why do we exist and who are we? And some of these kind of very heady kind of generative questions, which can be really challenging to kind of sit with and ask. And um, that's what we've been really trying to do, to do on a monthly basis. And... So I would say back towards the end of May, early June, we, we, we came up with a solution. Um, actually, we're calling it the Solution Sprint. It's an event we're going to be hosting on September 24th at the Wythe Hotel. So really pulling uh, from the design community, from like hackathons and the tech space. We're like, how do you take this incredible um, kind of energy, this really diverse population of people with all sets of skills who are passionate, who are creative, who want to get to work and bring some of these ideas from like around the kitchen table mm. space to a prototype, to a pitch deck, to a first draft. Um, and we realized like, man, we can't really do that in like two hours a month as we meet. So let's really like, let's kind of focus around a day um, so that's going to be the solution sprint. And we also, I think the other big realization was, um, you know, everyone who could probably contribute to this conversation was obviously not at all of our meetings. So felt like right. it was really imperative to 
open this space up and do some really targeted uh, uh, outreach to all different types of uh, players in the food space. So we think about hospitality in a pretty broad spectrum. So uh, anyone is welcome. Anyone with an idea is welcome to um, be a a part of the solution sprint. Um, Anyone can be a team member. So uh, if you're interested in participating, uh, the application is pretty simple. It's like, what can, like what do you have to offer? What's your background? What's mm-hmm. your skill set? Um, and w- and then we're going to be matching those people with a series of ideas. So um, this is a little bit more the trickier part. Um, so you don't have to actually come in with your own idea or your own solution. That is that what you're saying? Yeah. You can so kind you, of just be like, hey, I'm here. I want to help. I want to work. Okay. So that so that if that's the case, you would apply to be a team member. Got it. Um, and then the other kind of application is for sprint ideas. So these are the actual ideas we're going to be working on. Mm. Those applications are a little bit restricted. Um, as you might imagine from the name of our group, we're really focused on lifting, uh, female voices. Mm -hmm. So sprint ideas, anyone who identifies as female or non-binary is welcome to apply. And what we want to hear from you is what is a problem that you're seeing, um, from where you sit? Uh, what's a thing that you think, you know, possible solution, something you think might help? Who's it for? You know, is this a solution for, you know, bartenders in Brooklyn, for, you know, female chefs across America, for baristas on the Upper West Side? Give us a little bit of scale and scope and then share a little bit about what you might need to make this idea come to life. Who are some other thought partners you might want? And those ideas we're going to put in front of a selection committee that we've formed. um, And the selection committee will evaluate those. It'll be a blind evaluation process. So any kind of identifying information will be stripped from that. And the selection committee will essentially present, I think, five, maybe six, maybe four, kind of depends, ideas that we'll kind of work our way through on that day. And then uh, as a team, we'll kind of put together, um, we'll take a look at all the folks who have applied to be part of it and do some kind of matchmaking so we can make sure that we've put together teams that are going to be able to really drive an idea forward and be a good match of like skill sets and energies. Um, And then hopefully on that day, we'll come, everyone will work really hard. Uh, At the end of the day, we'll, we'll share kind of some of those outcomes. We'll be working to connect those folks with additional mentorship, um, potentially access to funding, uh, for-profit or non-profit entities that might be interested in piloting some of these ideas. So lots of roles for for people to get involved. Um, we are also uh, working actually with the Heritage Radio Network is acting as our fiscal sponsor. So oh, we are like actively, <laughs> actively seeking donations to support the Sprint and those donations will be uh, tax, tax deductible thanks to the, the radio network. And so that is a very long, very long answer. No, it sounds incredible. <laughs> kind of a complicated um, event. <laughs> sounds incredible. Um, I, I'm wondering, do you see, so it's women in hospitality. Do you see there being any overlap with agriculture? Um, because, I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you know, and we've both seen that there's obviously a lot of, a lot of the issues in restaurants that women have been up against um, are also mirrored in in farming. And I'm curious if you've thought about that at all. Yeah. I mean, I think um, we think about, I feel like under my personal definition of hospitality, kind of anyone applies, Mm. Um, but we're really thinking about, you know, if you kind of work in the food space, then we want to be an organization that is um, 
inclusive of you and your needs and, and kind of creating space for, for your voice in that conversation. Um, so I'm hopeful that, um, people from that space will participate in the sprint, both by submitting ideas and also being team members. We're going to be hosting an info session with uh, New York city green markets on August 22nd at project farmhouse. So you can find information about how to sign up for that on our website. Um, but I think really, um, like, I think, you, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head where we get into trouble, I think is when we try to really separate these food spaces and act as though they don't kind of impact um, them and that like behaviors that aren't going to flow across the space. So um, what, what that might look like, I think we really don't know, you know, in Mm -hmm. many ways um, the solution sprint is a big experiment. It's an experiment in driving resources towards things that we don't even know what they're going to be yet. It's an experiment and, what we can really create over the course of a day. It's an experiment and um, really forwarding voices that we might not hear from as, as um, frequently. Um, for us, from an organizational standpoint, as Women in Hospitality United, this experiment has kind of forced us to really figure out kind of who we're going to be and what we're going to be doing. So, um, you know, we decide you're going to host an event. People are like, well, who are you? Mm-hmm. So, oh, man, we need a name. We need a mission statement. We need an advisory board. Um, and I think that has been happening in parallel to the development of the sprint and that kind of investigation of um, who, we, who we are and who we're going to be here for is something that's going to continue for the next couple of months. I think as we've tucked into this space, we realize that we have a lot more questions than answers. Yeah. There's so many um, amazing organizations in food that have been around for 25, 30 years. You know, um, Chefs Collaborative comes to mind, uh, the James Beard Foundation, uh, Women Chefs and Restaurateurs. So in the food space, lots of people for, for us to learn from. And then really thinking about um, some of the other issues that we see a lot in the food space around kind of uh, access and access to funding, access to actual food, access to opportunities. So mm-hmm. also thinking about, um, you know, how do we intentionally make sure that we're building a, a diverse organization that's very grounded in collaborative work and that we're not, you know, no one thinks that the solution is like, let's just put ladies in to like the same system and they'll like, that'll be better. We're like, no, we want more than that. We think there's actually... Um, that as a community, we're really missing out on the potential of all the creativity, all the great kind of thinking products, food that could come out of a space where more people have access to it, more people have a voice. So I don't know. It's like <laughs> lots to come, hopefully. Yeah, it sounds very big, um, <laughs> but very exciting and important. Um, I'm really excited to see what comes out of all of this and and see it kind of move forward. Yeah, well, hopefully I'll see you there on September 24th. Oh, for sure. (laughs) And if you're out there listening, um, you can apply. You can get more information to apply. The website is uh, womeninhospitalityunited.org. And and we would, you know, love your feedback, love your insights. We're definitely, as I said, very much in this questioning phase. Um, And gosh, I feel like we're just about out of time. Yeah. It always happens so fast. (laughs) Is there anything you want to leave me with as you pass the baton? <laughs> um, who? Good question. Good question. Well, I think, um, and maybe just to kind of take us out, I will share with uh, Farm Report listeners that 
the the reason that I felt like Lisa would be a good fit is that I really see in her um, a lot of the similar kind of uh, inquisitiveness and curiosity that I feel like I brought to the program. And I feel like um, what it was most important to me was really finding someone who was on the listener side and really thinking about um, questions that you know we've heard from from you guys and and bringing things to you that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. So I'm excited for for you to experience uh, that through her. And I would say just keep asking great questions. Thank you so much, Erin. All right, for the last time, I'm going to take you out. You've made it to the end of another episode of the Farm Report. Thank you so much for listening. This show, like all 30-plus shows on the Heritage Radio Network, is made possible by your donations. Really, any amount helps. So if you have a couple of buckets, visit the website and click that beating heart. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. I'm watching, I'm watching.